0: Hey everybody, it's Sam here. Back for another episode of the cast, You Know the Drill. Every week I kind of give the same talk about how we're super glad that you guys are tuning in to listen to our conversation about things that matter to us and we think are important and meaningful in our lives. And um, just that we encourage you to rate and like and subscribe and share with all your friends and send us questions. Um, And I also usually say how... These are just our opinions, and uh, they may not necessarily reflect the views of our church. Well, that's just as true as the first time you heard it. So, welcome, and please enjoy episode 17 of the cast. The, the reason we love having you on the cast mm-hmm. is because, well, the last three episodes, honestly, were pretty bleak. <laughs> they were pretty heavy. I, they were good. They were really good, in my opinion. But it's just heavy. I'm right. just like, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of our listeners. And mm-hmm. I know that I talk about hell, and then I talk about veganism, and then I talk about martyrdom. You know, that's going to weigh heavily on people. So, and it's not that we aren't going to talk about serious stuff tonight. But I just feel like when you're here, we're gonna crack more jokes. We're gonna
1: crack some. We're gonna. There's gonna be more cracks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just gonna be a better time for everybody all around. Just overall. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Lee. I also wanted to really encourage you tonight. Um, Mm -hmm. I think just encouraging people is a wonderful thing that Christians can do, Mm -hmm. and I specifically wanted to encourage you on just the way you've been leading worship at morning prayer. Um, That's been really cool. I. I have to admit, I don't usually know the songs that you're leading
1: <laughs> Classic. when
0: I go into worship. But when I come out, like, I've just learned a new chorus. And I, th- I just think it's really impressive the way you're able to pull that off and kind of teach us new music and just do it so confidently. Wow. Um, even if, like, people aren't singing along at first, by the end of it, you kind of know they're going to be singing. So mm-hmm. um, I just think that's a really innovative approach to worship in a setting where we don't have... Hymnals or we don't have uh, a screen with lyrics on it.
1: Yeah, like, wow, thank you. You're that's welcome. very kind.
0: <laughs> are you very intentional about which songs you pick, like as far as like how easy they are to learn?
1: Yeah, that's the thing about morning prayer, the difficulty, I would say, that's probably the most difficult space to lead worship because it's just you and it's just a guitar. So if you make a mistake, it is quite evident. There's no band to cover that up or hide anything.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like people like also give you a lot of grace in that setting though. Just because it is so like um just kind of loose, like um acoustic, raw. Like it's not um and we are, you know, it really is about it's not gonna sound uh, very full unless we all participate, kind of. Yes, so, mm-hmm.
1: which is why, it's all of yeah, us. it's difficult. That, yeah, that's the struggle because the songs, I do try and pick songs um that I if I know we haven't done them on a Sunday morning, they're going to be repetitive. But, like, I, like, going into it when it's just me singing and playing at the beginning, like, I always... I'm glad it comes off as confident, but, like, sometimes I'm like, all right, it's just me, just my voice. Cool, cool, cool. I'll just take us home, like, feeling out the room here, and it's... But, like, by the end, you're right. Usually, like, I think it is repetitive enough that people catch on. But, like, starting out, especially first thing in the morning when, like, your voice isn't great, and when it's not great to begin with, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know what? It's for Jesus, so I don't really care what other people are going to think, like, I'm not too concerned.
0: I feel like, like, in that space, like, just seeing you lead and also just get so into it that, like, you've tuned out, you've essentially tuned out everything. I have to. Yeah, like, you have to, and you have to just focus on the act of worship in that case, which, like, is good for the people participating in it with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is different when there are people around, too, though. I do, like, yeah, the style of morning prayer, I, I like it. Um, I, I don't know what I'm, where I'm going here but with this. Um,
0: well you also like, so this coming week, by the time this airs, you will have led worship at heart and soul as mm-hmm. well. Correct. Um, correct.
1: Am I being questioned? <laughs> I'm just making sure.
0: I'm just making sure. Um, do you prefer that? Like, is that just more comfortable to you?
1: Um, I don't know. This is like so interesting. Well, it's not so interesting. Disclaimer, this might be (laughs) really boring for some people. But like, (laughs) leading, they're just different. And I've never, like, last Heart and Soul, last month or two months ago, whatever, was like the first time that I've led worship with like a band. And Mm. the band was just (laughs) a cajon and someone else doing... Like harmonies and whatever. Yeah. So that was like the first time I'd ever like led worship. That was the first time I've ever like been on a stage singing and playing guitar. So like it's different, but I, they're both, they're both good in their own ways. Mm -hmm. You know, like it is cool to have like a, a more. I don't want to say a crowd. What am like the conc- like leading more people and mm-hmm. hearing them and like mm-hmm. f- like you feed off of. There's more of
0: a safety net almost.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. there's yeah because and, and, like your, carry your
0: it. yeah your voice and your like playing isn't so naked I guess yeah. like it's not yeah, so yeah, exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: <laughs> no, yeah. that's so true. There is more like it's almost a little bit freer to like you mm-hmm. can you, like I said like if there's a band you can make some mistakes and you know the crowd just singing their hearts out are gonna cover that. And they're both fun, though.
2: Mike, you ever led worship? I actually have. (laughs) Why are you laughing so much about that, Sam?
0: Just because you were laughing. I was just laughing with the group.
1: Right, right, right.
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, way back in college, I had to do it one time. More out of necessity because Hmm. part of our group that we were leading, every worship leader was MIA that night. So I got a piano and- Were they out drinking the night before? Nope, I don't think. So. Hope That's not. good. That's good. Just never checking. Know. Never yeah. know. You got a piano. Might have been one Damn. of those progressive. did worship. <laughs> progressive Bible college. You just did worship. So I have one time.
1: I mean, really, it is that simple. You're just praising Jesus.
2: Well, you have to actually sound good. Okay. Yeah. Like, so there a distraction is a level of excellence.
1: Level, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like in
2: your bedroom, you sing as bad as you want. In the shower, sing as bad as you want. When you're leading people,
0: you gotta kind of know what you're doing.
1: I yeah, I agree. I agree. We're on the same
0: page. (laughs) Mike, you've played other instruments in a worship setting, though, before, haven't you? I have. Yes, I have. (laughs) So are you going to step behind the drum kit at some point (laughs) at Risen? Can you imagine
1: if you... Oh... If you, like, if it was just you with the guitar and then you just stayed on stage and preached and then you just stayed on stage and, like, prayed for people after and it was just you. Can you imagine? Like,
0: like wow. a one-man worship. One-man yeah, yeah. Like, worship preaching man. everything. Do people who do that, man I don't
2: think was... that it would be beneficial in our context.
0: Actually, isn't it, like, a very old-school, like, Pentecostal thing for the pastor to be, like, leading worship and, like, singing the songs so I, like, was, I don't know if
2: that's Mr. Pentecostal as much as it's just sort of, like smaller church necessity right like i know a lot Mm -hmm. of like church planters will try to like have to do it all kind of things whether whether they're good at it or not actually
0: technically on some level the priest in the catholic church has to lead worship they have to kind of like start the chants and people will uh go along with them some priests really do not have good voices for that they kind of just phone it in and then others are like angelic the way they sound
2: Sure, I can't I've never say yeah. Ne- yeah. Can't experience I'm that. Never you, you guys need to at it.
0: least try going to a liturgical service. I won't necessarily say Catholic Mass, but like a liturgical service. And I've done students. some weddings, okay,
2: because of Emily's business in the past. It's
0: just good for having a bigger, bigger perspective on modes of doing church. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, and that's not a critique of the way we do church. I just think it's healthy to. Just know what else is out there, too. Hundo P.
1: Hundo P.
0: (laughs) Hey, speaking of morning prayer and other modes of doing church, I just want to put out a reminder to everyone of the weekly opportunity that we provide at our church to engage in just that. So it's Wednesday at 630 at Stanley Park Community Church, and you heard Leah talk a bit about leading worship, and that's a big part of it. But I want to talk to everyone about something that we've been doing in recent weeks that I call guided prayer. So you might have heard of guided meditation. Some of you have maybe even attended a yoga class or two. Hey, I've done it too. But this is a lot better than that because you're connecting with God. And we do provide this opportunity to just pray, meditate, and connect with him in maybe a bit of a different way than you normally do. I can speak personally that I had an incredible time in guided prayer, um, just really powerful time at a church conference last year. And I do really believe strongly that being led through prayer can make you examine and bring before God some of those struggles um, and areas of your life that you may forget about. Sometimes we just need these reminders to lay our stuff down before God. So I hope you'll take advantage, get into the spiritual disciplines, and come out early on Wednesdays. You guys remember those uh demotivational posters they were like a very early meme format i guess or image mm-hmm. macro format i do yeah so it's just like if you're if you're too young to remember these it's just a picture and then there's like a big word underneath they'd be usually kind of sarcastic so anyway there's this one that i'm looking at right now and it's someone with a tattoo of leviticus eighteen twenty two. So it says tattoo of Leviticus eighteen twenty two condemning homosexuality two hundred dollars, not knowing that Leviticus nineteen twenty eight contemns tattoos priceless. That's just a that's a classic meme about the application of Leviticus that book in general. So oftentimes we see a verse like Leviticus eighteen twenty two um, applied towards um, sexual ethics. Really, most of Leviticus eighteen applied towards sexual ethics. Uh, in general, and while I do think that the Bible teaches on sexual ethics, certainly my understanding of Leviticus has been that you don't you don't use it to make doctrine in the New Covenant. But I don't know if I'm taking it too far there, Mike, because there are other view, there are other verses in the Bible where you know Jesus specifically mentions sexual morality. Uh, Paul mentions sexual morality. But then people always find ways to cite Leviticus as, you know, it's particularly Leviticus 18 because it's maybe the most clear verse in the entire Bible about homosexuality. But is it really, like, if you're going to ignore the one about tattoos, um, can you just ignore Leviticus 18 as well? Can you ignore all of Leviticus? How do we consistently apply Leviticus to our lives? You don't
2: consistently apply it. Essentially, right? So Leviticus is a book of law, right? Giving um, just an outworking of the Ten Commandments into the people of Israel. So often, what gets clarified in theology is that there are different components to the law that were given, kind of like civil or national laws to govern Israel's people, uh, ceremonial, ritual laws to govern them in their relationship to God, and then moral laws, which govern govern morality and how we fit those together. And then that's where people, again, tend to argue that in the New Covenant, the moral laws, um, the essence of, say, the Ten Commandments, Jesus, and we talked about this in our series, reduces them, not reduces them, but, but you know, really um, focuses the attention down to loving God and loving people, kind of how the first four and the last six kind of relate to one to one another. Um, and those would apply. And so when it comes to some of the biblical system around the temple sacrifice, Uh, purity laws, cleanliness laws, we would argue that, yes, in the New Covenant, those were um, fulfilled fully in Jesus. Um, And so that allows us to um, read back, And, and having to make tough I would not eh, that's not right. They're not tough, but just like, what if you're not a Christian, not studying context, you're not studying sort of the law and the new covenants and comparing those things, you might think of them arbitrarily, but they're not arbitrary, right? They do deal with specific things on how we relate to God. That in the cross, what, what gets abolished is anything, essentially— and by abolish, I should clarify, it's fulfilling, and not in the sense of, like, in Christ we are freed from the requirement of. It's not somehow— going back on the law and saying God messed up when he gave this. It's just the fulfillment of, the, uh, fulfillment of what it was meant to produce in us. Um, and so all the things about how to clean yourself and stay pure as uh, as a people and, and really segregate yourself and separate yourself, we would argue um, God's fulfilled in Christ. So when he died on the cross, he fulfilled everything that we needed to keep us in relationship with God. All the ceremonial, all the cultic, all the religious, all the cleanliness things, all the these are on worship and sacrifice he was the great lamb he is the new temple or he destroyed the temple now we are the temple of, of the holy spirit right we, we don't need a temple we don't need sacrifice all the dietary restrictions that were meant some argue for health some argue for you know uh, for like a unique way of life we do believe god essentially ended them through different things like the vision of peter where god says get up and eat and we know that applies specifically to peter going and hanging out with, with gentiles but also has been applied to how we understand food and what that means for our rights, and and then you get and then what happens is then you need to dig into what were these laws, um, trying to either prohibit, right, or prescribe, and so that's where like you get a lot like you know the 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 tattoos and it's like, you know if you actually dig into it right, I, I, the argument for. Just general no writing on the body, what we would call a tattoo, is not really implied there, um, because right we know it's connected to this sort of um, non-Israelite Canaanite sort of ritual for remembering the dead and other things like that, uh, that were cultic in nature, and so. Uh, when he's saying, "Don't don't do this. Don't tattoo your body, mark your body for the dead." It's it's a prohibition against a certain kind of religious and some of them probably would probably argue a cult practice that is not um, in keeping with the worship of Yahweh. And so, you know, when you get more into the nuance of what the law is meant to do, like even the one that says, you know, you can't boil um, uh, like a baby goat in its mother's milk. It's like, like why <laughs> right but the mm-hmm. idea of purity and the and the idea of like the the stages of life and how it's kind of morbid to like it's like a, it, it feels it's it, it's it's against um order and and sort of natural thi- natural course of things to do an activity like that it seems sort of just random to us yeah but, and
0: and so definitely um, random but it's like the more I think about that that is pretty messed right up. like yeah. and so, <laughs>
2: it's just, it's, just so it's putting together the ideas of life and in impurity in, in but um, and not in the way for us in Christ that keeps us out of God. So again, it's speaking back to creational order, you could argue, uh, what promotes life. Um, and and so that's where you have to, you can't just quote Leviticus for anything. You have to know what the purpose of the law was, why it was given. And then with the New Testament, right, we do have the idea that whatever Paul um, and his theology, you know... Um, worked out under the inspiration of the Spirit and whatever Jesus declares, right, we do uphold still. And so, you know, we would argue that some of these Levitical laws which speak to a principle of, you know, say, sexual ethics or purity of heart or whatever. Because uh, even Jesus quotes Leviticus when he says, essentially, love your neighbor yourself, right? Like it's from Leviticus that we get that out or love the Lord, the God with your heart, mind, soul, strength, that it's out of the law. Um, and so it's 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 understanding how that those get ratified in the new covenant. And so it's not like we throw it all out because actually it speaks to bigger principles, like you know, um, even the way that that laws get applied. And so you know, for example, when in the law, and this is bigger than just Leviticus, but in the law and the Pentateuch, like Exodus, Numbers, all of them together, right? You get someone uh, saying, you know, that there's these certain capital pro crimes, right? Certain things that that would elicit um, like a death penalty within the nation of Israel, right? Like you have to understand what is going on there. It's not just, you know, some random things. Well, why does adultery mean death versus, you know, you know, killing an ox or something like, like, there, there, there are reasons and systems that God, we believe God put in place. And to be fair, um, there are some laws that we don't understand why they are what they are. Like, this is something that Christians don't often talk about enough is I remember doing like a reading through Leviticus for like, you know, Bible in a year and all that stuff. And people always argue or joke it's the hardest part of the Bible. But when you put in this context of God trying to create a space on earth pre-Jesus where humans and God could live in purity together, like it is actually a beautiful picture of God's desire to be with us. And doing that, when you study it, there's some laws, I remember like the commentator literally just said, We really don't know why this is there. We can't really give any reason. So within this certain context, we think it could be this kind of purity law, right? It's like, I think sometimes we have to hold that loosely and just say, you know, for us, we do believe we have the Bible that God wants us to have. But it doesn't mean we fully understand every single part of it um, all the time with the same level of clarity as our essential doctrines, you know, of our faith. And so, even within that, there are there are, there's ways of you know understanding how these systems fit together. So, to answer the question in brief, it'd be like, well, number one, if you're using Leviticus to not have tattoos, then you're misapplying it anyway. Uh, but things that have been ratified in Jesus, certain ethics, we would take, not. F- not strengthened necessarily through Leviticus, but just as a continued pattern of, of God's moral ethic.
0: So, <laughs> this is where it gets tricky. Then, so I'm not under the law that I can't go get a tattoo necessarily, but it feels like my conscience should be bothering me in the decision to go get one. Then, if if I'm going to take Leviticus, then like as God's kind of ideas about purity um, on earth. That is well.
2: This is so. This gets a bigger conversation around like you know there are some christians that would be called like what 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 was her name like torah observant christians and things like that that like love the messiah jesus but like follow the law completely mm. which we would argue galatians and colossians kind of speak directly against but whatever right and they would have that same argument right if yeah. god set up all this stuff up in the old covenant why would we not keep it and it's and to me that is a misunderstanding of what Jesus came to do to fulfill the hopes, promises and ultimately not read the book of Hebrews, that he is the better version of all of it. And right, so yeah. again, figuring out what does purity actually mean. Like when you think of purity, we often think of, you know, like this kind of moral standing of of um, you know, cleanliness and things like that. We're really, um, purity laws in the old testament, um, were much more complex and simple <laughs> i know it sounds right. weird but some of them l- literally dealt with hygiene that like we should just take care of the body and make sure that we're clean mm-hmm. some of them dealt with kind of like the internal purity and in, like our hearts and whatnot but it actually was very external that's what people don't often understand is it was, it was a very external thing because it was an image of what was meant to actually be produced in us this is a, kind of what god god will say different times like you know i want your heart circumcised obviously it's a metaphor.
1: That's a tattoo. Right?
2: That's right. Because um, he's saying that there's this deeper thing that, yeah, you're following all these laws, but you're missing the point, right? And that's when we talk about Jesus saying, like, you know, if you if you follow God, if you love God and love people, all the law hangs on these things, that there is a deeper thing. And so I think we have to understand that when we talk about purity and our modern, I would argue, even new covenant understanding of purity, it tends to focus so much on the inward, where in the... Where the, in the old covenant in in the the law a lot of it was external visible signs of a covenant people um which we don't have any longer now we have the fruits of the spirit fruits of the spirit sure right but i just mean like it's it's a a different way that we relate to it so i do think there should be in us a kind of consistent moral ethic but again you have to argue that out through what was cultic what was civil and what was moral right so like Hmm. what are the things that were situationally wrong. Right? Because we do believe in applied truth, right? We do believe in objective truth and but not relative truth in that sense. But there is like, um, situational ethics in the sense of for a season, you know, God said this thing was wrong for this time. But because he's done a new thing, um, we would argue that that is um, a non um, transcendent moral principle, right? Like because you could argue, I've actually had people do this and I would have a little question around it. This is going to get weird for a second. But uh, is that one of the ways that some kind of like biblical literalists would would make sense of how Cain and Abel ended up having kids was they would have had to marry and you know have some coitus with their... Violate Levitical law. Sisters, yeah. right? Yeah. So... Have
1: some coitus with their sisters <laughs> is what you went with, to I be did. clear.
0: I did. I um, did. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord.
2: Yes, so that was given after this happened, right? So people have argued that before the law was given and made evidently clear that incest was wrong, Um, which we would continue to this day, that there was a season of life where it was permitted for certain purposes so that you couldn't argue that incest is absolutely, in every single case, wrong, but now that we've been given revelation that it is. Um, People have made that argument. And so whether we agree with it or not, it's just that's kind of how sometimes things get worked out or all things being equal, you know, certain moral imperatives will trump different ones or we have different moral imperatives to, you know, honor life and value humans and always be... Um, you know, working for the benevolence of someone else, the good of someone else, the flourishing of someone else, not to steal, not to take. Uh, But what happens when, you know, certain moral imperatives are kind of put at odds, right? Things aren't always equal and you have to choose which is in your mind the greater good step to take. And, And so it does get a little complex. And so in that sense, recognizing that there are some things that given to the people of Israel as a nation under a theocracy of God that no longer are binding, um and that's where it it can get complex but we would argue that when jesus so and that's why again this gets back to how you read your bible right that's why we um see the bible as a full story from genesis to revelation what god set up and what god's going to accomplish now that's the narrative that frames everything what jesus did to bring some of those themes together and so there are things that were given before the specific law covenant relationship between israel and god a specific expression of god's redemptive work that would be still binding on we would argue on all people um, but then what Jesus makes explicit, you know the values that he espouses, the things that we would argue Paul inspired by the Spirit creates for us, gives us a framework for. right? And then there's the application of those things which which are complex, and Christians can charitably disagree. But it's still it still says that maybe there are, maybe there should be some more sensitivities around just completely dismissing everything in the Old Testament that sometimes we we like doing but um i don't think there should be some inherent like uh disgust or like you said sort of like questioning within me uh, because of what the bible says about like a tattoo that's to me that's yeah. a cultural misreading and so you might have that and if your conscience says that paul does say like then don't do it mm-hmm. right because it would be kind of sin for you uh but not because it's it's morally you know transcendent just because you would stumble over that.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think all of this just speaks to, like, the necessity of reading the Bible as a complete story in that way rather than doing what Christians like to do and pull out individual verses and put them on signs when we go in protest or put them on uh, even home decorations. So how about this one? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's when we love. Yeah, we love fruit. to put that on our home decorations and on our Hallmark cards and things like that. Mm-hmm, we do, and it's another one where, it, when I actually went back and like read all the verses around it, it's like th- this is not about me.
2: Well, so there is general principles we learn from Scripture, and then specific applications, right? So. Being able to say that God has a plan for his people is a legitimate principle we can pull from that scripture. Sure. 100%. Right? The immediate context is under 70 years of slavery. Yeah. And all those people he's talking to actually are all going to be dead by the time it comes to pass. So, you know, there's that. Um, I just think it's a misappropriation of certain promises. And then you get into the question, though, of, like, why do Christians love, like, holding on to old covenant promises when we believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of them.
0: Because I don't know right? if we do believe that sometimes. I think,
2: yeah, I would argue that we don't always, but like, especially like, again, that's why one of my favorite books is Hebrews, because he's like, he's better than everything, right? It's anything you think the old covenant could bring you, he's better. That's not the old, it's, and, and actually Hebrews goes on to say that, you know, that essentially it's obsolete. They were shadows, right? And so it's not to say that they were wrong or bad. It's just, they're not for the full revelation. And so that's why I do think there's this tension where we like, because, and this is going to expose a deeper issue, but it's because the Old Testament covenant promises tended to be very earthly, mm, right, yeah. that the blessings and the prosperity would be signs of this, and that God, that they, that Jerusalem would be this place where all the nations come, and the wealth of the nations and everything like that. And and those images and those pictures were very uh, earthy and grounded and very in this life, um, and that when we think Jesus fulfills them, He gives us what would be a sort of a new covenant interpretation of those things. Uh, meaning that that he is ultimately going to be the wealth of the nations that he is uh the revelation of of God's blessing that he is all these things and the thing about it is that you know sometimes i would much rather believe that God is just going to give me some money <laughs> right like <Fruit. laughs> right like, like like even like david some, some of the like, uh. stuff he prays is is so this life focused cuz that's the revelation that they had, yeah. right? We, we don't like talking about this a lot with Christianity for some reason because it, it feels almost threatening. I think to our, the way that we understand the Bible, but like the idea of progressive revelation that God over time revealed more and more about Himself to His people that we grew in knowledge. That Jesus, Jesus kind of comes on the scene and, and he really blows up the idea of you know afterlife and blessing, eternal blessings, things like. It's all in the Old Testament. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I it, if I'm. I've, I'm not denying that in any way. Like some people I think maybe can read that wrong, but um, it, it's made explicit in Christ in a way that it's not in the Old Testament. And so that's why oftentimes we're like, when I preach about the Old Testament, I like saying like, and we have all the more reason to believe or have faith or whatever, because we have what they never had. We had Jesus and what he did. Yeah. Like, the, like David, he had no context for cross and resurrection, yet he's trusting so much in God, yeah. right, for earthly blessing. When right. I'm like, no, I have the cross, the resurrection, the empty tomb, mm-hmm. You know heaven here kind of promises from jesus and i'd rather have those ones although the earthly ones right? you know like they're nice hmm. and like like they're good um and so when it comes to this but the thing is i would argue too a lot of it is is you just said it and this is where i think we do need to be careful is we have a very eye-centered reading of scripture and so um by the time this goes live um, i think I'll have, I'm preaching on Sunday about a very famous verse uh, where Paul says that, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work you was faithful to complete in the day of Christ Jesus. And I've heard that applied in like so many different contexts. Like if I'm struggling in life, well, he's going to complete the good work he started. It has nothing to do with that at all. Right. So even we kind of take New Testament principles and promises and misapply them when it feels right, when it fits a context. Right. And well,
0: yeah, actually, like sort of applying them to that Old Testament idea that the evidence of God's favor in your life is going to come out in prosperity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's almost like it's almost like we yeah, we expect the Old Testament um, revelation of God all the time in our new covenant life. Now, that gets into another question for me, is when Jesus came and enacted the, the new covenant, does that mean the old covenant is totally dead? No one can be possibly saved or reconciled to God under the old covenant? That's a
2: great question. One for which I do not have an answer. Hmm. Um, and, or like a definitive answer, sure. I should say. Sure. Right? Like, yeah. I think there's many different camps that are all trying to be orthodox and trying to live up to standard of faith that would disagree on it, right? Christian sort of inclusivists, Christian exclusivists. Um, And then the sort of the nuances within that, because to say purely that the only way for salvation is by actually being able to pray the sinner's prayer in the name of Jesus excludes basically every Old Testament state from salvation. So we know that it can't necessarily be that Um, in the strictest sense of like, you know, Abraham could not pray. I believe Jesus died for my sins, yeah. right? Yeah. But the argument that like everybody will be saved through Jesus and by Jesus, right, who are saved, um, I still I still think stands firm in the sense like people have argued that the reason why Jesus, you know, went um, and like preached to the dead, as, as Peter says, is because he's trying to preach the gospel to those Old Testament saints, potentially. There's ways of explaining it in that sense. Or, you know, that... And when abraham saw the promise he actually saw forward to jesus and so he could have faith in, oh, in, in a yeah. christ um but then you get like david and enoch and those people but that's where we would argue that where paul kind of calls the the law the the guardian or like the the educator in a sense of, of the people that there is a way that salvation was given by the covenant of the old covenant to god's people um and and there will be the inclusion of Old Covenant saints and Old Covenant faith in the New Heavens and New Earth. I, I think I ha- we have to believe that. Mm-hmm. The yeah. way it works out is, is, is different. A you could argue, I think, that in Christ, right, you, you can definitely argue, and I would 100% hold to this, that you can't have Christ and the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Right? Like no, Christ no. kind of makes it obsolete. He's the better version. We have said that a bunch where right? even, you know, Colossians, you know, it's like, don't let anyone kind of get you back into that. You've been set free. And the Galatians kind of falling back into Judaizers. And Paul's like, you know, if you're going to be like that, you should just cut the whole thing off and don't, you know, talk about circumcision anymore, which
1: cut the whole thing, whole thing, off. <laughs> thing
2: off. He talks about that. Right. Um, but could you argue that if someone does not have the revelation of Jesus, could they function out of a kind of old covenant relationship to God where they know they need to be forgiven, they need to repent, they need to make sacrifice, and it can kind of fit in the old covenant system? You could argue for that. I, I wouldn't, I'm not I'm necessarily convinced that be, in that that because of what Christ did, it is a cosmic shift in our relationship to God. Because then you could argue, like, I believe it was, um, there was a missiologist. I think it was new begin, but I could be completely wrong. So I don't want to... Don't trust me on that one. But basically, they had the, uh, the idea of um, like kind of like inconspicuous Christians, where they kind of were Christians, but they just didn't know it. They didn't know how to be, but like they had the faith and all that stuff. And I think I think those are nice thoughts. Like you also could tie in if you're a Calvinist, right? That God already knows, right? Mm. If you're an and then. We don't know either, so what does not matter? Just keep on preaching the gospel. right? If you're sort of a Molinist, kind of that, that middle knowledge view of God, that God already knew who would choose him, yet given freedom, and so he made the world in certain ways that would lead people to choose with the freedom that they had, what they're going to do. Sure, right? Like, like, there's ways of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm partial to believe, honestly, that, like, in Jesus, the new covenant was birthed. A cosmic shift has happened that the temple is obsolete, religion is over, Christ has won. Um, But then again, there is, I think, there is an Old Covenant kind of, Old Covenant kind of, I don't want to call it grace, but an Old Covenant kind of relationship that... um, I think, can often get us to the point of recognizing our need for Christ as well. So I think God can use that to lead people to the point of salvation. Probably not, you you can't get saved, we believe, by your work. So even Abraham, right, is through faith that he was declared righteous. And so, yeah, I would argue that there is a definitive new work of God in Christ, inaugurating a new creation that we have to be part of through our union with Jesus and Him alone. Um,
0: Yeah. So how about Matthew seven twenty one then, which says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Um, so this is maybe getting back too much into sort of what we talked about last time, but it sort of touches on what you kind of talked about. I don't know, the idea of like assurance of salvation a little bit there. And even <laughs> the second half of that, at face value reads like he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So is that works righteousness? No. Cool,
2: cool, cool, cool. No, right, <laughs> next question. Um well first of all, like again, um that's what Matthew you said seven?
0: Matthew seven, yeah. Right
2: in the context of uh Sermon on the Mount and she dealing with sort of a new way of the kingdom, dealing with, you know, the culture of Pharisees, dealing with the culture of like um People kind of essentially using the Lord's name in vain, right? Attributing to God works that they've done, right? And and what is the will of God? Like you could argue that that is ultimately the redemptive plan of salvation in Christ, yeah. right? Like even John says that like, and what is eternal life? That you know God and know that He sent Jesus, right? So that's ultimately the will of God that this God God got done. So if you mean that in the everyday, what you have to do the will of God in the sense of like the individual moment by moment obedience to get salvation well then maybe you could say that it is that but i don't i would i would argue that that's not what jesus is getting at he's getting at to the idea of like you can essentially do works well because what he is saying is if you actually read the full thing right he's like you can prophesy in my name you can heal him and you can do you can do miracles in my name right and it doesn't actually matter because it's not about the work it's yeah. about the knowledge. It's because he turns him away and says, you don't, I don't know you. I don't know you. And so the the bigger issue is do you actually know God? And what does it mean to know God? It's to know the Trinitarian revelation, Father, Son, and Spirit, and what Jesus did. And so it, it does get deeper than just, you know, you didn't obey me, right? Like, although we would argue that disobedience is what leads to our destruction and our death and the chaos of our life. And so it is tied to it, but... The idea there for me is always intimacy. It's that I I did stuff for God, but not with God. I did stuff, you know, attributed to God, even miraculous things. Like even Paul later on says, like, you could, you know— do miracles or prophesy and speak this and give and give your life. If you don't have the love, it's nothing. It's a resounding gong. It literally means nothing, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's yeah. the same principle, right? It's like, it's mm-hmm. it's not really about the action itself. Those are good actions and we should want to do them. But with the underlying heart motivation, what is? The, where has the love been evidenced in my life? What's the motivation for these actions? How am I going about them? And I think in this case, you have a lot of, you know, Pharisees and religious people saying like, look how much I'm doing for the Lord. And he's like, mm don't know you right so it's actually to me it's a huge scary indictment on really modern christianity right like how many of us just sort of do stuff religiously ritualistically, without really even thinking deeply about what we're doing yeah and just say it's for the lord like and we often use it to justify so much of our crap too right it's like it's just for the lord it's like "Mm." or you just like justifying your own selfishness a lot of times Mm.
1: it's for the lord though
2: it's for the lord right it's like i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna go to africa for the lord Mm.
1: You just want to be like Toto, am I right? Hey!
0: Yeah. I feel like the the whole theme of what we've just been talking about has been sort of a bit about uh, taking scripture out of context, nitpicking verses, just reading the Bible improperly. Um, not that this is totally in that vein, but I just think this is a, a humorous anecdote. So one time uh, I was over at my grandma's house and she is doing her daily devotional, and she's like, all right, let's see what uh, let's see what the Lord has for us today. So she reads this. While they were enjoying themselves, behold, the men of the city, the perverse lot, surrounded the house, pounding on the door. And they said to the old man, the owner of the house, bring out the man who came to your house so that we may have sex with him. So the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out, do violence to them, and do to them whatever you please. Do not do this disgraceful thing to this man. But the men were not willing to listen to him, and the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. And They had intercourse with her, and they abused her all night until the morning. Then they let her go at the approach of dawn. And the woman woman came as the morning appeared, and she fell at the entrance of the man's house where her master was until daylight. In the morning her master got up, and he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his journey. And behold, his concubine was falling at the entrance of the house with her hand on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up, let us go. But there was no answer. So he would put her on the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. When he entered his house, he took a knife, and he grasped his concubine and cut her into twelve pieces, and he sent her throughout the whole territory of Israel. All who saw it said, Nothing like this has ever been since the Israelites went up from the land of Egypt until this day. Take note of it, consider it, and speak up. And then she concluded by saying, well, that wasn't very pleasant.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just so we know, uh, because I don't know who's listening. um, One of the ways you actually read the Bible, um, is called the art of reticence, understanding that the moral of the story is not always given explicitly, but the implication and the understanding is that you're reading it through the lens of the law, knowing what God wants ultimately and how this is actually, just so we know, a picture of how depraved the nation had become. This is in Judges where they're struggling for leadership, they're sort of rebelling against God and um, there's this often line, you know, they're doing the right in their own eyes and not really following the will of God and all this different stuff. And so this is... Not like, hey, we're going to recount a story that's going to be, you know, used to justify the de- the guy's actions for offering his daughter. No, it's actually to show how depraved the nation had actually become and that this is not a good thing. Bad thing. Do not offer your daughter to a group of raging men um, and then cut up a concubine after and send her around. That's inappropriate and bad
1: we should make that a t-shirt
2: do not do this do
0: not that would be a hot seller on Redbubble. let me tell you what's Redbubble? it's just like a custom t-shirt website you, would know you can get that. t- that's where i got all these stickers on my laptop from
1: oh very cool yeah very cool laptop stickers red bubble yeah. what is. do your laptop stickers say about you what image are you trying to i don't know we got jesus dante
0: a scene from the garden of earthly delights and then a risen city sticker oh i just like yeah. art and jesus <laughs> yeah i can see that leah quick question for you yeah a couple weeks ago actually like a month ago now we talked about being a proverbs 31 woman mm. i just wanted an update on that have you started making linen garments and selling them and delivering sashes to the merchants?
1: I'd like to plug my Etsy for a <laughs> linen garments that I make.
0: Is that true?
1: It may have not be. It may. It's not. That's a lie.
0: Mm, well, you need to go repent, repent of that. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Should I do that now? or?
0: Uh, no, you can do that on your own time. Okay. But do we'll I have your permission?
1: You. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Um, this is maybe going. <laughs> you guys done? Sorry.
1: That was a really great. I, I didn't really know how to transition there. But... Interesting. Oh, I thought you were the king of segways.
0: No, I'm not. Um, sometimes I am.